electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome, everybody, to Power Lunch. Uh, happy Monday. I'm Tyler Matheson. This hour, President Biden to meet virtually with the CEOs on the CHIPS Act. The bill set to move ahead in Congress, and it could lead to an unprecedented package of subsidies for the semiconductor business. And dividends on pace to set a record this year. But there are a few companies that our guest says have unsustainable payouts. A market veteran has some names to be wary of. That's coming up, Kelly later this hour. Hi, Tyler. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Let's start the week with a look at the markets. Right now, everything's in the red, but the Dow has been kind of fluctuating in a very narrow range. It's down seven points. The S&P is down six. The Nasdaq is the clearer underperformer. It's down about two-thirds of one percent right now with a lot of nervousness about big tech results. Most of those names are under pressure today. Check out Newmont Mining, which is the worst performer in the S&P after they reported a quarterly loss. Uh, The shares are down 12.5 percent, hurt by a drop in gold prices uh, there for any EM. Energy, meantime, the best performing sector today. Diamondback, APA, and Marathon leading the way, and we're seeing gains of about 6%. The energy sector up about 3% for its part. And this week is being called the most important of the summer. We've got earnings. We've got Fed Chair Powell setting the tone for the back half. Let's get to Bob Bassani down at the NYSE. Bob? And Kelly, uh Apple and Microsoft earnings and the Fed meeting will set the tone for the second half of the year. You're absolutely right. Now, for the Fed, the problem is very simple. Nobody is quite sure what version of Jay Powell will show up for the press conference. Will it be the Jay Powell, the fire-breathing, inflation-slaying Jay Powell, or the Powell that sees signs inflation is easing, or maybe somebody in between? We don't know. What the bulls desperately want right now is for Powell to undercut the case for a major recession. The bulls don't want a major recession, but he can't do that yet. There's not enough evidence that inflation and the battle against inflation is being won. But the bulls already are arguing that the Jackson Hole Conference, now that will be August 25th, might be the opportunity to note that inflation is improving and the economy is indeed slowing, arguing for a pause in rate hikes later in the year. That's what the bulls are trying to convince everyone is going to happen. Maybe. We'll see. Meantime, Apple and Microsoft are the most important earnings this week. Everyone is afraid of a slower spending environment and the effect of the strong dollar. Yet bulls are insisting that iPhone demand will hold up better than feared. Expect to hear a lot about managing expenses and the bulls spitting forward to a better fourth quarter and a better 2023. You want an example? Dan Ives at Wedbush. He's in this camp. He says, as of now, we believe iPhone demand is holding up slightly better than expected. That said, the street is well aware of weakness this quarter and we believe ultimately is looking past June numbers to the September and December quarters with all eyes on the iPhone 14 introduction, production uh, and cycle for the fall uh, staying on site, uh, on track, he said. Uh, he said that in a note to clients last week. Now, like everyone, he is hedging his bets, but arguing that the street is well aware that a slowdown is underway. He said, in a shaky macro environment, there will be many casualties as a slower spending environment is on the horizon with darker storm clouds. A lot of weather mo- metaphors there, Tyler. But the bottom line is the street is arguing, don't look here. Might be difficult near term. Look into the fourth quarter where things are going to be a lot better. You'll hear a lot about that. 
in the next couple of days. Tyler? All right, Bob, thank you very much. Bob Pisani, our next guest, uh, watches it all very closely and says there are a few names beyond big tech to pay attention to right now. We'll get those in just a moment from Stephanie Link, Chief Investment Strategist and Portfolio Manager at Hightower Advisors, also a CNBC contributor. Let's start with the macro picture, Stephanie. Uh, take us through some of the, uh, the numbers that you'll be looking for and with particular note that some of the inflation numbers we will be seeing are rear view mirror kind of numbers. Yeah, it's a huge week, Tyler, this week. The next five days, we're going to learn a lot about the economy and where we're going, where we were, where we're going. And we're also going to learn about monetary policy and the Fed. And then, of course, we've got profits. Um, in terms of the data, the three uh, data points I'm looking for from the economic side of things, this is uh, the second quarter GDP, the preliminary number. Believe it or not, the number ex expected is still 2.3% positive. That's a year-over-year -year number, probably a bit too high. Um, in terms of the inflation figures, core PCE at 4.8% year-over-year is expected. We know the Fed likes this gauge, and they want it to be 2%. So the number is still going to be high and hot. And, of course, we get the employment cost index, which will also be pretty hot as well at 6.7%. Again, year-over-year year numbers. The inflation story isn't going away. And then, of course, we do get the Fed on Wednesday, as Bob was just mentioning. It's expected to be 75 basis points. I think they're going to do another 75 in September. And then, then we kind of have to hope that they're going to just step back and look at the economic data. But the data is definitely slowing at this point. And that's why last week, Tyler, the markets rallied, believe it or not, because of the Fed pivot talk, right? Because the economic data came in so soft. So, and then lastly, just on quickly on the on the just big picture on earnings, 35% of the S&P re uh, reports this week, but it's 49% of the market cap and 21% of consumer stocks within the S&P reports. So we're going to get a real-time gauge of the, the very important consumer. So let me just spend let me just spend one more second on the GDP number. If it comes in negative as it did in the first quarter and and that first quarter number was kind of poo-pooed. There were technical yeah. reasons why it was it was negative. But this time, uh, if it came in negative, would that be more worrisome to you? Yeah, I mean, is it technically a recession to negative quarters in a row? Yes, but mm -hmm. you're right. The first quarter inventories you have to adjust for exports, and that's and that sort of thing. This this quarter it's going to be definitely a more softening of demand side of things. That's why I think the consumer companies are going to be super important to watch. We got General Mills a couple of weeks ago, and they were able to see 13% organic growth, and they did not see demand destruction yet, even though they put in 12% price increases. So we have to hear a lot about what the consumer mm. is doing, but we know it's weakening. Steph, tell us, uh, and, and hello, and happy Monday. Uh, tell us why you're watching hello. Boeing and Caterpillar and Chevron especially. Yeah, well, so everyone's focused on FANG, so I tried to give you a couple of names that were a little bit off the beaten path, but yeah. they're super important companies, right? They're global companies. So so Boeing is going to be commentary versus the numbers, right? It's going to be a 787. Do we get any clarity on the delivery resumption? Uh, 737 MAX has got to get recertified in China. I don't think we're going to hear that tomorrow, but any kind of color at all. And then, of course, the recovery in travel. We saw American Express, T&E, rose 84% year over year when they reported on Friday. So I think that's just an indication travel is actually picking up. We all know that. We all go to the airports and we see that kind of thing. So that should help the overall demand equation. Watch the free cash flow number. It's going to be a negative 900 million. 
But I think in the third quarter, that actually inflects positive, goes, goes positive. So that's a good thing. So let's listen to that. They have an investor day in September. Just quickly on CAT, it's a global proxy for demand. Want to hear what they have to say. Total revenues, they said at their analyst day, is going to be better than the prior peak highs, which was in 2012 at $66 billion. Watch free cash flow for them as well. They have a $15 billion buyback. Um, and I like that stock a lot. If it were to weaken, that would be one I actually might take a look at and buy back. Finally, Chevron, we know all the energy companies are, are printing money. We saw it with Schlumberger on Friday. They're going to have a great quarter. Chevron is on Friday. I think they're going to beat on the upstream because of oil prices, downstream because of refining margins. And then again, this is a free cash flow story too. Break-evens are at like $50. So we want to see what they're going to do with that $11.2 billion in free cash flow just in this quarter alone that they're going to generate. All right. Uh, Stephanie, as always, great to see you. Thank you. Stephanie Link, appreciate it. What a busy week and a busy afternoon as well, because in just a few minutes, President Biden is scheduled to host a virtual meeting with CEOs and labor leaders on the CHIPS Act. The bill earmarks $52 billion in incentives for chip makers to build plants in the U.S. Those in favor say it'll help counter China's growing tech dominance. Those against say chip companies themselves should pay. Kayla Tausche is covering the event for us. Elon Moy is here to tell us where this bill stands in Congress. Kayla, let's start with you. Well, Kelly, uh, this is the first time that we will see President Biden in three days as he's been isolating with COVID. Uh, certainly, this has been an issue that has been top of mind for the White House. You'll see top administration officials like the Commerce Secretary, the National Security Advisor, and the Director of the National Economic Council attending. But amid some of the criticism that the makers of these semiconductor chips should not see this windfall of tens of billions of dollars, the CEO guests that you will see at this virtual meeting are instead the executives leading Cummins, Medtronic, and Lockheed. The administration here is going to argue that uh, these end users of chips who are making medical devices and jet engines and those Javelin missile systems that the Pentagon has estimated use up to 200 chips uh, per system, that it is these companies and the labor unions who will be providing some of these jobs who will be the ones benefiting. So look for that argument to be made. But it's also worth noting, Kelly, that this is a fight that has long been in the making. In February 2020, that's when the White House first announced a task force to start studying the supply chain logjam and then about 100 days later announced that it was semiconductors where an acute shortage was being felt and trying to put policy solutions in place discussing with the industry what sort of incentives were needed to go forward from there. The industry has estimated that it takes about six months or up to six months to produce a single one of these very advanced chips. And it's several years to produce a factory that actually makes these chips. But as we've now seen, Kelly, it also might take several years for the political process to play out to actually get some of those factories back here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. That's another story, uh, Kayla. It, by the way, Kayla, should we expect anything else from the president uh, policy-wise? And, and I know this is more a question for Elon in terms of the, the timeline on this through Congress. But if it sounds like there's maybe two big things we can expect between now and the midterms. The CHIPS Act and possibly this health care thing that would uh, cap prescription drug prices and not let subsidies expire. I mean, this in particular... It, is this a big issue that would galvanize voters one way or the other? It doesn't feel like it would be. 
Well, perhaps not, but it has been the fight against China and the competition against China that has really been a bipartisan issue, Kelly. And I think you can read some of the tea leaves about how the White House is discussing both of those pieces of legislation that you just referenced as to the likelihood or the possibility that it's ascribing to either of those getting across the finish line. The White House today is holding a big public event, tying the president to this legislation and this issue uh, in, a, in essence to uh, try to help the president get any sort of halo effect uh, from this issue if it were to cross the finish line. By contrast, when you talk to White House officials about uh, that slimmed down health care package that will no longer include any of that climate funding, they say this is really Senator uh, Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the Senate. This is really his ball game. He's the one who's leading those negotiations and we'll see how they proceed. So they're trying to establish some distance from that health care bill, even as they're trying to establish some proximity to this one, Kelly. All right, Kayla, thank you very much. Let's go now to uh, Elon and the timeline for a possible vote on this. What do you got, Elon? Well, Tyler, the Senate comes back into session in just about 45 minutes. The next procedural vote on this bill is scheduled for 5.30 this evening, and that means that final passage could happen as soon as tomorrow or possibly Wednesday. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has committed to voting on the bill in her chamber this week as well, and then it would be on to the president's desk for his signature. Now, the official cost of this bill is $79 billion. That includes $52 billion for chips, roughly $24 billion for an investment tax credit for fabs and tooling equipment, and another $2 billion for the public wireless supply chain. Now, this measure got bipartisan support during an earlier procedural vote. It passed 64 to 34, and there's some speculation that margin could grow when it's time for the Senate to take up final passage. But the business community is not taking any chances. IBM has been one of the most vocal proponents of this bill, and this week, 60 of its senior executives are flying into Washington to lobby lawmakers and the Biden administration to get this across the finish line. That includes IBM Vice Chairman Gary Cohn. In a statement, he told CNBC that this is a historic investment in an industry that America created and will put our country back at the forefront of chip innovation and manufacturing. And guys, as you alluded to earlier, this could end up being the last major piece of legislation that Congress passes before the midterms. Back over to you. All right, Elon, thanks. And uh, I know you'll be watching it for us. So coming up, folks, are cracks forming in the auto lending market. Ally Financial, one of the country's largest auto loan originators, may hold the answer to that. The analyst behind today's power call will be with us, plus the big tech trade into earnings this week. Find out which stock our trader says will bring short-term pain but long-term gain in today's three-stock lunch. So we had to a break. Take a look at shares of Weber, the grill maker, off 13% after the company announced the exit of its CEO and suspended its quarterly cash dividend. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, 
you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome back to Power Lunch, everybody. Ally Financial downgraded to underweight from neutral. At Piper Sandler, in part because of headwinds in the auto market, the company, which is one of the largest auto lenders in the U.S., reported its 30-day auto delinquencies increased 58% year-over-year last quarter. That's up from a 41% increase in the first quarter of the year. Those are big numbers. Joining me for today's Power Call is Kevin Barker, Managing Director at Piper Sandler. Kevin, what are you seeing here, and why does it have you so unnerved? You've cut the price target to 34 from 45. So we're seeing, that the, to your point, the rising delinquency rates are rising at a faster clip than we would have expected. Um, there is a normalization of credit that needs to happen because losses were so low for so long after the pandemic. And while we expect losses to go up, um, the growth rates that we're seeing now are a little bit worrisome. And if they continue at those rates, uh, we think losses could really hurt earnings in the future. What is driving those losses? It's not rising unemployment. It's not um, falling wages, uh, per se. I have to assume it's the rising price of automobiles and that people have just taken out more loan to buy more expensive cars than they can afford. Yeah, the loan, the loan numbers have gone up a lot. The duration has extended. Mm -hmm. um, I think underwriting standards overall have been, you know, fairly consistent going into it, but used car prices were so high. So and you add in that inflation is really making it difficult for people to um, make payments or to even handle their bills on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think we're just starting to see some of that flow through. Um, part of that is a normalization of consumer balance sheets, but a part of it is, is also, um, you know, payments are much higher than they were two years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's not a case like in the financial crisis of, uh, or at least you seem to be saying it's not a case as in the financial crisis of lenders lending to people who shouldn't be taking out loans. In other words, that these are, these are loser loans or junk loans. No, they're not junk loans at all. I mean, I, I think... The, the auto market is incredibly mature and there's lending for everybody from with no FICOs all the way up to the top. So it's so, I'm not, I'm not too worried about the auto market. So how does this trickle through and affect the profitability of Ally, uh, its margins and its, its EPS? Yeah, so delinquency rates lead charge-offs and eventually you're going to see higher credit losses in the future just given that delinquency rates are rising. If used car prices continue to soften like they have, that will make the charge-offs even credit losses even higher. Um, the likes of Ally or any other consumer lender that is involved in the auto space will likely have to either maintain reserves where they are now or potentially increase them depending upon how the economy plays out over the next six, 12 months. Yeah. So how much is that potentially going to hurt profitability? And you know, it doesn't seem maybe car prices can just plateau from here. But you're saying if they go down, then, you know, they're going to be kind of stuck in a downward spiral. Some of these stocks. Yeah, the under, a lot of the loan uh, underwriting stance that happened over uh, post pandemic um, were, were similar to what we saw pre pandemic. So with used car prices up a lot and new car prices up a lot, if there's any softening, your the recovery rates on default loans is going to go down. 
So that that's going to increase the severity on any losses that are going to happen. And, you know, we could see not necessarily a normalization back to pre-pandemic, but, but something maybe a little bit above that, um, especially if we see higher unemployment. So we're watching that really closely and, and worried that the, these delinquency rates could continue for the next you know, several months, especially if we're in a recession. People are going to be underwater in these loans, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Usually the recovery rates on auto loans are about 50 percent. They've been running above that. Um, it's possible if we do see persistent declines in used car prices, it could be much lower. And it looks like this cut in price target that you put through this morning or today um, is abrupt. A, a month ago, you had it up at, uh, at 45. Not so many months ago, you were in the 50s. So these numbers must really have gotten your attention. Yeah, I think it's partly delinquency rates. I think it's partly um, less a- excess capital with um, book value coming down and a- equity values coming down because mm-hmm. of interest rates. And then it's partly due to the fact that, you know, we're seeing declines in NIM due to higher funding costs as All well. Right. So that, that could impact the profitability of the company. All and right. Kevin, thank that. you for, for coming on and, and discussing your call today on Ally. A warning on ally Kevin Barker of Piper Sandler. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. Coming up, saving lives and the environment. A mobile disaster unit that runs on clean energy. Plus, tech on deck, a key week for big tech earnings. And we'll break it down in today's three-stock lunch. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome back to Power Lunch. It's not only a big week for tech earnings, the industrials as well. And as we're trying to gauge recession, obviously, this is an especially important time. Seema Modi is here with a look at what we can expect. Seema? And it just speaks to how bifurcated this economy is, Kelly. If we talk about the consumer spending data that we got from American Express and the banks, you would say, well, the consumer is holding up pretty well. But the industrial economy, less so. The manufacturing flash PMI print was the weakest in two years, while services PMI fell into contraction territory. That's below 50. The data out of Europe has not been faring any better. You can see new orders have been in contraction for the past two months. So 3M, that is the first industrial set to report tomorrow. At an investor conference earlier this month, the company talked about how its numbers were pointing to a 3% negative impact from that China shutdown, 
also citing currency headwinds and continued concerns around inflation. JP Morgan's price target out today, $134. So that's exactly where the stock is trading at right now. A similar story for General Electric, which has seen its earnings estimates cut on those continued supply chain constraints. Both 3M and GE have been trailing the industrial sector really by a wide margin. You'll see uh, industrial sector down 14% this year, 3M down 24%, GE down 27%. And we've seen the earnings growth rate for the sector come down from 30% earlier this year, now down to about 26. So here's where investors see opportunity. Morgan Stanley says stick with names like Eaton, Train Technologies, which specializes in cold freezers. Oppenheimer is going with names tied to secular themes in the industrial space. So Emerson Electric, Wesco International, they both operate in the uh, electric utility space, Kelly. And we have John Deere, and this has been with ag absolutely in the spotlight, first in the positive sense for much of the year, and then it's also been part of this correction. Yeah, this has been a fascinating sector within industrials. John Deere and Agco, they've been underperforming as of late. At the onset of the Russia war, we saw these names both outperform on the idea that there's going to be a short of wheat and other agriculture commodities by these names because their equipment will be in high demand. But since wheat prices have collapsed, these names have come under a little bit of pressure. But there was a no from Oppenheimer. They're still sticking by John Deere, uh, $365 price target ahead of earnings, which come out on the 19th of August. They think that the second half, second half rebound uh, for industri industrial ag equipment will stay intact. Amazing to see both Deere and wheat prices down year on year. But like you yeah. said, whether they stay there, now the big question. Exactly. Seema, thanks. Yeah. Seema Modi. Alrighty, uh, let's go to Christina Parsonevelis for a CNBC News update. Christina. Hello, Tyler. I humbly beg forgiveness for the evil committed by so many Christians against the indigenous people. Those are the words of Pope Francis within the last hour as he apologized for the Catholic Church's support of Canada's decades-long policy of forcing Native children to attend residential schools where abuse was rampant. At the site of one of those schools, the Pope called the forced cultural assimilation effort catastrophic and a disastrous error. A former U.S. representative is one of nine people facing insider trading charges today. Stephen Byers, a Republican who represented Indiana from 1993 through 2011, is accused by the SEC of buying Sprint shares in 2018 when he was a consultant after attending a golf outing where a T-Mobile executive told him of the company's secret plan to acquire its competitor. And Britain will host next year's Eurovision Song Competition on behalf of Ukraine. The UK entry in this year's contest came in second behind a Ukrainian group that won widespread public support in the wake of Russia's invasion. But organizers are saying today it would be too dangerous to keep with tradition and have Ukraine host next year. Tyler, I'll send it back over to you. All right, Christina, thank you very much. Thanks. And ahead on Power Lunch, a dividend dead end. Companies paying record dividends, but are these payouts unsustainable? We'll discuss that and we will name names next. Welcome back, everybody. Just 90 minutes left. Markets are still negative, especially the Nasdaq. So let's get you caught up on stocks, bonds, commodities, and the question of unsustainable dividends. Before all of that, though, let's check in with Dom Chu. How are we looking on the market, Dom? All right. So this is very much the kind of wait and see, Kelly. Markets ahead of a Fed decision, GDP release, and of course, the busiest week of earnings season type scenario playing out right now. So the trading range today has been pretty narrow and calm on a relative basis at its peak the large-cap S&P 500 was up roughly 
one-third of 1%. At its lows of the day, it was down roughly one-third of 1%. So how is that for symmetry in a measured trading day? So the sector action, pretty much interesting so far. Energy, by far the best performer, up 3.5% on the day. But it's also utilities and consumer staples. So a very economically sensitive sector and two defensive ones are leaders. Meanwhile, ahead of a big earnings week for mega cap tech, comm services, and consumer discretionary earnings, those are the biggest laggards on the day so far. As for the, some of the bigger stock stories of the day, check out Newmont Corporation, worst performer in the S&P by a wide margin. The gold miner reporting disappointing earnings that fell from a year ago amidst the drop in gold prices. It also forecasts higher costs for the full year. Outside of the S&P, check out Weber Inc., that company behind its namesake, Outdoor Cooking Grills, getting smoked, if you will, in trading today. It gave preliminary quarterly results that fell shy of analyst estimates. It's dealing with inflation and supply chain-related issues. What else? It also gave disappointing sales guidance for the current quarter. Also said its CEO is stepping down. So you're seeing some real earnings movers-ish, Kelly, even though we're not even in the heart of this busiest week of earnings season. Back over I'm just to shocked that Weber is doing so poorly, Dom. It just, you know, you would have thought the boom in outdoor grilling, all these new homeowners, that they would at least give them something more of a lifeline. Tough comps, right? I mean, the pandemic drove a lot of that outdoor grilling yeah, spending. I don't know if you can, rep- I don't know if you can replicate that I know. in that kind of environment. I know. So. I'll think about it uh, as I grill. Actually, I don't even think I've been out there this You summer. and me both. It's too hot. <laughs> Dom, thank you very much. Let's get to the bond market now where treasury yields, I mean, we could say higher, but 282 is still so much lower than where we were at the high point of the year, uh, up closer to three and a half percent. So we've come a long ways down, but that's where we are uh, as of this afternoon, 2.82 percent. Part of the curve also still inverted. We're talking about the twos uh, relative to the tens. Yep, still by about, call it 20 basis points, so pretty significant, uh, something we're always keeping an eye on. Oil closing out the day with about a 2% gain. Meantime, making energy one of the best performing sectors in the market. And that gas continues climbing for a lot of supply-driven reasons. Let's get to Pippa Stevens. Pippa? Hey, Kelly. Well, Nat Gas is up about 60% for the month, and that puts it on track for its best month going back to September 2009. A combination of factors boosting prices. We've got extreme temperatures across the U.S., which means higher demand for natural gas. The contract also rolls on Wednesday, so we're seeing volatility ahead of that expiration. Now, we also saw a bump as Russia's Gazprom said beginning Wednesday it will cut gas flows through the vital Nord Stream 1 pipeline by about 50 percent to 33 million cubic meters. So in total, that's roughly 20 percent of the pipeline's capacity. Now, European Nat Gas futures jumped 10 percent on the back of that news. This comes as Europe looks to refill storage ahead of winter. And then there's also, of course, economic consequences from these higher prices. Bank of America is saying that Europe is, quote, choking on the highest energy costs ever. Now, turning to oil, a more muted gain here with WTI up 2% at 96.71. Energy stocks are responding to strength from oil and gas, and they are leading the S&P 500. Upstream players are the outperformers with APA, Diamondback, and Marathon all up more than 6%. Kelly? but thank you. Let's turn to dividends now. On track to set a record this year, believe it or not. But are all of these payouts sustainable? Let's bring in Jack Ablin. He's Crescent Capital's founding partner and CIO. Picking up, Jack, on a discussion we were having last hour as well, but take a case like Verizon. Not saying the dividend's in any danger, but how do you know when a high dividend is a sign of promise versus a warning sign? 
Yeah, um, it's a, a double-edged sword because an attractive dividend certainly uh, looks like a great place to be, but sometimes that dividend's too high for a company to sustain. And so walk us through your methodology. What to you tells you strong dividend, you know, exciting and enticing investment versus an unsustainable one? Sure. So I started, uh, Kelly, with the S&P 500. And let me just start by saying the S&P 500 generally is in very good shape in terms of dividend and dividend sustainability uh, overall. I also, from that point, took out all of the real estate investment trusts and pipelines because you know these are these are structures that are designed to pay out most of their cash flow and dividends anyway. Uh, so stripping away there, I looked at companies that have uh, had a difficult time making a, their last dividend payment. Their payout ratio uh, relative to their earnings was over a hundred percent, or in some cases, massive if earnings were negative. So here are some of the uh, the names I came up with. First uh, was PPNL. Uh, PPL is a uh, regional utility. Um, it earned uh, 117 over the last 12 months, but paid out 166. Uh, its uh, holding company is low uh, investment grade, triple B uh, bond quality, and its uh, equity is rated a C plus uh, on the uh, service that I use. Uh, next is uh, the CME, the CME group, the exchange, uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange. This is an interesting one because uh, the CME pays a very small regular dividend, but then has a, an extremely high special dividend. And so that special dividend that they paid at the end of last year was uh, double what they paid in the four quarters. So I suspect while they'll be able to maintain their regular dividend, um, they probably have the optionality, no pun in, in, intended, right. to cut back on that um, special dividend that they reward their, uh, their holders in the uh, fourth quarter of the year. So really the numbers, the last, the, excuse me, uh, Jack, if I might, the, the, the numbers are the ratios to look at. It's not that necessarily a high dividend signals danger. I'm looking here at a list, and there's Diamondback with a gaudy almost 11% yield, at least according to this sheet that I'm looking at. But its payout ratio is just 14%. Uh, nor does a low dividend necessarily offer uh, you solace or protection. That's it. I mean, take Ford, for example, which is really probably the most controversial name on my list. Uh, you know, they're only paying a 15 cent dividend, uh, but their you know, last uh, four quarter earnings was negative seven cents. So as long as uh, as long as uh, they'll be able to, you know, continually crank out positive results, they should be able to cover that 15 cent dividend. But, you know, if uh, uh, keep in mind, Ford has had a track record of eliminating the mm -hmm. dividend. In fact, in 2020, uh, they withheld the dividend for two consecutive quarters. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if if things got tough for Ford, uh, that 15 cents would disappear for a little while. So when a company pays out in dividends more than it earns in a given quarter, where does the money come from? Sure, it can come from cash flow. Um, mm -hmm. it, they can borrow um, to do it, which would also be part of cash flow. So you really do have to look at kind of the operating earnings, uh, 
in order to uh, understand what the sustainability is of -hmm. that cash flow. And, uh, and, And I think the other thing is, you know, here at home, you know, dividends are sacrosanct. Uh, when a company issues a dividend, if they have to come back and cut, uh, as we know, that's a big issue. But if you're looking at dividends in Europe, for example, that's not the same case. So just because you're enjoying a great dividend, management has no hesitation of cutting that dividend. And it doesn't carry the same stigma that, say, an S&P 500 company would. All right, Jack, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. As always, Jack Ablin. Up next, today's clean start, the story behind disaster relief startup Sesame Solar. We'll be right back with that one after this. Well, it's an increasingly familiar sight. Mobile disaster relief moving in after fires or hurricanes, tornadoes, and now heat. Uh, But those are just adding to the problem in the fight to stop global warming. There may now be an alternative. Diana Olick joins us in her continuing series on clean startups. Hi, Di. Hey, Ty. Yeah, think about how much goes into disaster relief, mobile communications and command, mobile medical, kitchens and housing, all usually powered by diesel fuel and all that dirty energy just adding to the cause of these disasters in the first place. But a startup called Sesame Solar is now making fossil-free relief possible. The whole concept is that no fossil fuels are required to be able to have days or weeks of energy autonomy after an extreme weather disaster, like a hurricane or tornado or wildfire, or an event of grid outage in California, like PSPS or a cyber attack, or anytime the grid is just down. It's clean energy in turnkey mobile systems that have been preloaded and can be ready for use within 15 minutes of arrival. Water, power, and communications that can be towed and deployed almost anywhere. We combine solar and battery storage, or we also have other sources of renewable power. We use green hydrogen as backup power, and we can do small wind turbine if uh, conditions are right. Sesame Solar sells the systems for anywhere from $100,000 to $300,000 or higher in the case of perhaps a full medical clinic. It's sold more than 50 units so far since it launched just this past June. Its customers already include the U.S. Air Force, as well as telecom companies like Cox and Comcast, parent company of CNBC. Its first investors say they see huge potential. There has been 18 multi-billion dollar climate disasters in the U.S. in the last 18 months. And it's rare you're going to find a company that already has revenue, already has customers, already has impact in the world and has done it on a shoestring budget. Sesame Solar is backed by Morgan Stanley, VSC Ventures, Pax Angels and Bell Capital. Total funding so far, $2 million. And that $2 million may not sound like a lot, but it is expected to grow quickly. And Flanagan says she's not concerned because of the strong revenue growth already. She's also looking at a model where rather than sell the units, she can rent them. Her dream is to get FEMA on board with that, which would be a game changer for this startup, Ty. And they've already sold 20 in just a month or thereabouts. Given that 50. All, as you said, 50. That's just amazing. Given all that goes into these units, is the company having supply chain issues that could could retard that growth? Well, they say no, because they are fully made in America, in fact, made in Michigan. So they're not seeing any of the kind of supply chain issues that others are seeing right now. That's fascinating. Diana, always good to hear from you. Thank you, Diana Olick.
And still to come, today's three-stock lunch, and it's our Mega Cap Tech Earnings Edition. There you see them. We'll reveal which of these names our trader says could be a sell in the short term amongst Alphabet, Meta, and Apple. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. The moment we've been waiting for. The busiest week of earnings season is upon us. We get the tech titans all set to report. We'll sample a few of them for today's three-stock lunch. Alphabet is after the bell tomorrow. Meta after the bell Wednesday. And Apple after the bell on Thursday. Here to help us trade them is Matt Maley. He's chief market strategist at Miller Tayback. It's great to have you here, Matt. And we're very much talking about the very short term into results. What's priced in? How do you think they could move? Let's start with Alphabet. Yeah, Alphabet, I mean, as you mentioned, how, how, how have they already set up? I mean, the stock is down, uh, you know, it's down testing its lows for the year. And, uh, you know, I understand why, you know, people are worried about what happened with Snap last week. I mean, most people are saying we know that Google's much better than Snap, uh, than Snap but, and there are concerns about, uh, uh, you know, the issues of, of um, uh, ad revenues. Okay, but we've had a situation come this year that's very unique. I mean, this year is a midterm election year, which is usually not a big one for ad spending, but it's going to be this year. I mean, speaking with my expert in the field, Matt Maley Jr., uh, you know, they've had record amounts of, uh, of fundraising this year. They're not going to use it TV spending. That's kind of gone by the wayside. They continue to use it in, in, their, in their email uh, programs and move over to areas like uh, 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 the Google, uh, app, uh, Google apps, Google search, I'm sorry. So that's a great thing. But the big thing for the stock is it's cheap. It's priced in at least some of, of a recession at 17 times earnings, their market share is off the charts. I think if this thing sees any kind of weakness uh, on their earnings, it's going to be a great opportunity to buy it right now. A stock that's even cheaper by that measure is Meta at 15 times earnings. You like it, but, but not with both hands. Right, Tyler. The thing about, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people are getting very cautious on the stock, and more so as the months go by, worried about how you know, Mark Zuckerberg is so focused on the, uh, the metaverse, et cetera. And I understand some of those concerns, but I think he's been more crafty than people give him credit for. I mean, all these companies are talking about going in and, and you know, throwing the kitchen sink uh, this quarter with their earnings reports. Well, that's something Mark Zuckerberg did six months ago. Uh, and, you know, he knew they had a little bit of a target on their chest. And so he's throwing it out there. So if they can turn things around, you know, uh, start to, you know, monetize the WhatsApp uh, uh, situation, uh, you know, that's going to be something where it can really, um, you know, help the stock. Again, I don't think it's going to be one that's going to bounce right away like a Google can. Uh, it's something where you want to buy it, you know, every a little bit every month between now and the end of the year. And five years from now, you're going to look back and say, I'm really glad I bought Metaverse uh, back in 2022. All right. So you're positive on Alphabet, a little more neutral, we'll call it on Meta. Apple, you sound a little more concerned. Why? Yeah, well, obviously Apple's a great, great company, and you know Kelly, and and the the it's it's sometimes the stock isn't as good as the company, and you know the, the, you know this is a stock that's seventeen percent off its lows versus a Google, which is right on its lows for the year, and you know they're starting to throw some negative hints at us. I mean, they're talking about with it. It wasn't you know today they talk about you know lowering prices on some of their iPhones in China. Not that that's the biggest deal, but last week uh, you know they talk about you know having uh, hiring freezes. More importantly, talking about cutting back on spending. These are the type of hints that tell me that uh, they haven't priced in uh, any kind of recession here. And with the stock trading, it seems like 25 times earnings. Oh, that's great. 
Well, it's actually historically, it's still quite expensive for Apple. So my concern is that as if they report some problems, it's much more expensive than Apple. Uh, this has been a flight to safety trade for the, for the big cap uh, tech sector. People are going to say, hey, maybe we should look at Google instead of Apple. And so therefore, I still think there's going to be a great opportunity to buy Apple later this year. I just think it's probably going to be in the fall months rather than right now. All right. Matt Maley, Miller Tabak, thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. Three-stock lunch. All right, sticking with big tech, folks. Uh, which stock could see the most volatility after it reports earnings? What the options market tells us next. Welcome back to Power Lunch. Dom hinted at this earlier, but the options market is telling us it could be a more razzle-dazzle. I mean, if, are they good fireworks? Are they bad fireworks? Uh, you don't Dom know. Chu is back to explain <laughs> what is this telling us about these You don't these know. Results? That's the thing. But the options markets right now are there's traders jockeying for position. They're using put options and call options ahead of these earnings reports. And what it can tell you is a little bit about the pricing, how things could move, the magnitude, but not the direction, because they can't tell you exactly what's going to happen. But check out the QQQ Trust, which measures the NASDAQ 100 and ETF format. Since the lows in mid-June, we're up about 11%. So is the market right now already getting set for some kind of a move higher here, given what's happening with earnings? Well, if you take a look at some of the biggest stocks in play, we've talked about the big five that are reporting this week. If you look at Apple and Amazon right now, They've had some rough kind of years so far, but the big moves that you're seeing up here translate into roughly 18 to 19% moves off the lows already for Apple and Amazon. Now, as for what the options market is telling us about the trade, what it could be for Apple is a plus or minus 4% move in that stock on the heels of earnings. For Amazon, it's about plus or minus 6% in terms of the overall move there. So some of the more volatile ones that we could see this, this week. These are the three, though, that could become pretty interesting. They're the ones that haven't really seen as much of a move off the lows. It's about 5 to 7% that we're seeing here. But when you look at Microsoft and Alphabet, you're talking roughly 5 to 6%, plus or minus, right, in terms of these particular moves here. But it's meta platforms that's going to be the real outlier because right now the options market is pricing in what could be a plus or minus 10% or 11% move in the stock. Now, that's pretty unusual. It is pretty, it is pretty big. But now you're also talking about Meta Platforms, a company that's already lost 50% of its market value over the course of the last year-to-date period. But we know that with Snapchat's earnings, Snap Inc.'s earnings, that online advertising, advertising spend, and some of the trends there could be huge. Now, people have already used companies like Snap or Pinterest as quote-unquote bellwethers. But let's be honest. Alphabet and Facebook slash meta platforms control the bulk of online advertising out there. So when you want to talk about bellwether, it will be meta platforms and the options market is already pricing in a pretty massive move around that stock up or down. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be. Stay tuned. Yeah. That is, a, that is a tease. Thank you, Dom. You got it, guys. Our Dom Chu. Right, Thank you very much. Well, welcome back, everybody. Another week, big week ahead. Thanks very for joining us and watching Power Live. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.